The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. All right, I'd like you to take your Bibles now, if you would, and open them to the book of Jude. And we are continuing a diversity of topics in these afternoon services. Uh, These are subjects and scriptures that come to my mind as I'm studying for other messages. And I don't have time to address these things when we're in a series, uh, not as often as I would like. And so I appreciate this opportunity when we're between our series to preach uh, some different types of messages and speak on these issues. And the one that concerns me this afternoon is the proliferation of false teachers that are mistaken for uh, true teachers of the Word of God. And this came to my mind as I was studying for our sermons uh, when I was doing proofs uh, of your preacher. This was our Thessalonian series, and I had four messages on that. And this, this scripture in Jude came to my mind. And interestingly, we see uh, churches that are overtaken by a slow, steady progression of false doctrine. An error will get started in the church and then those errors combine or compound until the gospel is lost or at least the church loses its effectiveness. And in this scripture that's written by the Lord's half-brother Jude, he describes the tactics of false teachers. They don't always come clanging cymbals in front of them. Often they work quietly and subversively and you might not even know they're there until it's too late. So we're going to look at Jude's warning in the beginning of this short letter that he wrote. And we're going to start reading at verse number 1. Jude, verse number 1. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called, mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you the common salvation... It was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Now stopping there for just a moment, earnestly contend for the faith. And I want to remind you that in that verse, faith refers to the whole body of Christian truth. This would refer to everything that was taught by the prophets, those things taught by Jesus and also by the apostles and others that are writers of the scriptures. Now we look then at verse number four and we see why that it's necessary to contend. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. Ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. The first phrase of verse four For there are certain men crept in unawares. And that begins this section in Jude of warnings that Jude says believers in his day needed to watch for. And I believe that this warning that Jude gave is multiplied in the Lord's churches today because there are so many false teachers that just abound throughout what is called Christianity. There are some that have crept in, as Jude says, and Christians are are unaware that they bring false doctrine with them. 
And there are some that have infiltrated the church and they've begun a very slow progression of breaking down some of the most important doctrines of the faith. Now at the end of August, our men in the Romans Bible study class were given an opportunity to see this problem and you might say to see it in action. We looked at John Stott's commentary on Romans chapter 5 and uh, Stott's commentary is good to a point. He's usually very solid and You can count on him to give some helpful insight to the scriptures. But we saw in Romans chapter 5 in the discussion of Adam's creation and his federal headship of the race that the wheels came off and Stott plunged into a denial of the six-day creation. And not only did he accommodate evolution, but he proposed a theory of man and of original sin that was so perverted that as we discussed that in the class, we were just left scratching our heads. Doctrines of the faith are not often attacked in so overtly a manner as Stott did in his commentary. For example, it can take many years for a doctrine to be perverted. Baptism would be one of those doctrines. Uh, Slowly, baptism was perverted over the years until it became a means of salvation. Baptism was changed from immersion of a believer to demonstrate identification with Christ to the actual way that a person is saved or even to wash away original sin. Then the doctrine of the Holy Spirit is another doctrine that was changed. In the early 20th century, there was a perversion of the doctrine of the Spirit, and uh, that included sign gifts and all of those things that happened in the Azusa revival in L.A. in in the early 20th century. And now it's taken about 100 years And we find that continuationism is taught in some Reformed churches that otherwise or before would have soundly rejected that. And then in the late 19th century, it was textual criticism of the scriptures. And now after 150 years, there are many people that don't believe in the inerrancy of scripture. And then I would have to say that the proliferation of Bible versions for profit has also marketedly Uh, contributed to that error. And those are just the beginning of doctrines that that come under attack by modernists and liberals that infiltrate the church and they lead people astray. And each of these uh, perversions of doctrine chips away at the foundation stones of Christianity and eventually it breaks the gospel down and destroys it. Now I want you to notice the way that Jude says that people have managed to infiltrate the church. He says they have crept One Bible commentator said that they crept in because they are creeps. And you know me, I'm no stranger to that kind of language. I love that kind of language. And thus we have the title of this message. And that might be too strong a terms today because we're taught that we should get along with anybody no matter what they teach. But there were, in the past, some old-time believers that had no trouble calling an ace an aid and a spade a spade. Uh, and so we're willing to do that as well. But this Bible commentator said they were creeps. And when something is dangerous to your faith, it's best that you had set out at the very beginning where you stand and what, you, what areas that you refuse to give ground. So Jude says these false teachers, these apostates, have crept in. Now, this word crept is an interesting one. It means to come in alongside. Vincent, in his commentary, says it means to come in as coming in by the side door. 
not the front door where everybody sees, but in a side door where nobody is watching. And that definition puts a heightened sense of urgency on us that we do need to watch out because there are some that sneak in and we might not find out until it's too late. And in every, every era of Christian history, Satan has had those who have crept in among Christians and they begin to beguile the saints with all of their heresies. So we find that in Baptist churches across America that slowly many have drifted away into apostasy and that's because sneaky individuals placed in churches by Satan drew them away with false teachings. And when I think about this, this problem, I can't help but relate to it in a very personal way. I relate to it by experience. And I've learned and I'm amazed at how quickly that people can be turned from the truth into a destructive lie. My example would be, in 1965, my dad was called to pastor the Northside Baptist Church in Lexington, Kentucky. Most of you have heard me tell stories about my dad and how that uh, just about, well, most things, many things that I learned about the Bible came from my dad, and he was a very special pastor that uh, you don't often find in today's churches. He was a student of God's Word, and he was a theologian. And if you sat under his teaching, you get far more than 95% of seminary students would get in, uh, from their college professors. So he would study deep in the doctrines of God's Word, and that's the way that he taught the church. For 29 years, he pastored the church, and what was produced in that church was a group of very well-grounded, solid Christians who could contend for the faith. They knew how to defend the faith. Well, in 1994, my father suffered from severe heart disease, among other ailments, and he couldn't pastor anymore, and so he had to resign the church. That meant that we had to find a new pastor. So we had our sights set on an individual that we knew. We knew him from a distance, even though he had preached in our, in our church on several occasions, and we thought that we knew what he believed. So we interviewed him for the position, and, and he answered all the questions that we asked correctly, and I think that he did because he knew exactly what we wanted to hear. And so the church decided to call him as the pastor, and we were on our way. But after a few months, things began to change. I'm not, a, I'm not opposed to change, not if that changes for the better. And we thought, as we saw changes that were occurring, that it was best for us to let this new pastor have some leeway and to establish his own ministry. And there wasn't anything alarming at first, no great doctrinal changes. But as time went on, we began to see some of these doctrinal changes. Over time, there were new people that were come into the church, old people that were in the church began to wear down a little bit and those that came in weren't taught the same doctrines that the old people were taught and it wasn't long until the new people and some of the weaker ones that were in the church uh, still that hadn't yet learned as much as they should those people were in control of the church they had the majority and there wasn't much that we could do about it so little by little we saw the church slip into doctrinal errors and there wasn't much that we could do but leave the church and to find another place that taught the truth. And I'll tell you the kind of person that I am. I am loyal to the pastor. I'll stick with the pastor until he goes off on doctrine. And when that happens, either it has to be corrected or one of us has to go. And I think that's what you ought to do. 
As long as I preach the truth, you ought to stick with me. And you ought to support me and stand behind me. But if I stop preaching the truth, ride me out of here. Throw me out of the church. That would be the best thing for you to do. Well, I think all of us are familiar with this term church split. And that's what we had. Some couldn't take the watering down of the word of God any longer. And being in the minority, we were unable to do anything about uh, about what was happening but to leave the church. And so the church then was left with the weak Christians, the ones that weren't grounded in the word of God. And so in two years, this church that had 29 years of solid doctrine was on the brink of collapse. Three years after that time, after the good members had left the church, the church was completely gone. Today, there isn't a Northside Baptist Church in Lexington, Kentucky. And over 50 years of that church history and 29 years of my dad's pastorate of that church teaching sound doctrine was gone. And today, that building is used as a Sikh gurdwara. So what happened? Well, there was a false teacher that crept in unawares. And through subtlety and obtaining his position in the first place, the creep, in just a very brief time, had destroyed the church. Now, if there's ever a lesson and a warning in that, it is that we must always keep the guard up. We must contend, and we must watch the doctrine of the church very closely. So make sure that you know the scriptures. Make sure that when a false doctrine comes along, you don't swallow it hook, line, and sinker, but you know how to contend for the faith, because it takes years to build a faithful ministry, but only a very brief time to tear it down. So here's what false teachers do. They sneak in alongside, they quietly plant their seeds of heresy, and then before you know it, the whole church has gone into apostasy. Now let me just very briefly note the greatest enemies of the church. We're tempted to think, and it seems most logical, that the greatest enemies of the church would be atheists and agnostics. I mean, surely atheists, they are a, a most reprehensible people, Atheists have caused much trouble in our country. In 1964, it was an atheist, Madeline Murray O'Hare, who challenged prayer in schools, the posting of the Ten Commandments in schools and in courtrooms, and eventually she was able to see that that was taken out of our schools and out of our courtrooms. And there are people like Madeline Murray O'Hare that cause a lot of damage to Christianity. But it's not atheists or agnostics that cause most of the problem in churches because atheists don't have much of an ability to infiltrate the church itself. I mean, most people, if they knew a person was an atheist, they, of course, would never let them become members of a church in the first place. And then you look at agnostics. Uh, some agnostics may be able to get into churches and become members of denominations that are liberal, but they're not really a, a threat to sound Baptist churches. So the greatest threat to our churches is not atheists, it's not agnostics. The greatest threat is those who say they believe just like we do. Sometimes it's people in our membership who behind the scenes begin to tear down the pastor with gossip and innuendo. And they refuse to look for truth in the Bible and should they read the Bible, all they do is twist it to fit their interpretations. And I know, and you probably do too, that there are many who say that they read the Bible, but they have no idea how to apply what they've read. They believe they're wise, 
and they believe that they are capable of putting their critical eye on everyone else and they can judge everyone but self but they don't have the truth and they are destructive to the church so we've got to be careful of this that people don't come in alongside and sow seeds of discord everywhere they go so let me give you a bit of advice if someone approaches you and they have an accusation against me or against any leader of the church put a stop to it right then and what you say to that person is ah if you have a problem then you go with me and we'll go talk to the pastor or we'll go talk to that leader about it and we'll get it straightened out straightened out right now and if you would do that that would avoid a lot of trouble that goes on in church and a lot of things that are hard to fix later now let's go on to the next part of this verse and see what Jude says about these people they creep in and then he says who were before of old ordained to this condemnation ungodly men turning the grace of our god into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is the controversial part of the of the verse. It's the first part. What does Jude mean when he says were before of old ordained to this condemnation? Now, the meaning of that phrase hinges on two important words, before ordained. Some expositors say that this is a warning that had been sounded by other apostles. And there's some truth to that because we do know that others had written about it in the scriptures and wrote about the same problem. For example, Paul said something to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, and you're familiar with it. You don't really need to turn there, so I'm going to read it and you'll recognize it. He said, "For I know this that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things." to draw away disciples after them therefore watch and remember that by the space of 3 years i cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears now remember the greatest enemies come from within and that's what paul says in verse 30 also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things so paul wrote about this problem of false teachers He also gives a warning in another scripture, actually other many other scriptures, but if you wanted to look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, here is a problem that dogged the churches that Paul started and this is always on his mind. He says in 2 Timothy 3 verse 1, "This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come." And in the next verses he describes why the times are perilous and he says it's because of the increase the increasing depravity of man it's because false teachers cater to our depravity and to theirs and then in verse number 5 he warns about them he says having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such turn away for of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins led away with divers lust Now I need to pause there just a moment and comment on this phrase having a form of godliness. And there are many ministries that have a form of godliness. They look good, they smell good, you think everything's all right, but something is not right. They might be encouraging, but something is not right. Uh, I'm particularly put out by those ministries so many today that have women preachers. I'm not against women. So don't anybody 
accuse me of that. But did you know that in the history of the church, there hasn't been a notable woman theologian? Now, that doesn't mean that women can't understand Scripture. Women can understand Scripture as well as men can understand Scripture. Women ought to study Scripture. We have a woman's ladies' Bible class for that purpose, so the ladies can, can study Scripture. But the point here is that, that it's not the place of the woman to teach the theology in the church in general. And the woman is not to teach the man. I have a problem with that. I don't think there's, as I said, there's nothing wrong with women studying. You ought to study. And I believe it's fine for women to study and instruct women in the church. But I'm with MacArthur on this, that women aren't permitted to attend the master's seminary because that seminary is to train men in the word and many of them become pastors. So women that have gained notoriety in theology most often have led people away from the light rather than to the light. And especially the pulpit is not the place for a woman. Now the scriptures give qualifications for the pastor and the pulpit is not the place for the woman. In fact, we, we can hear what the Bible says about women speaking in church in 1 Timothy 2, 11 and 12. Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer a woman not to teach nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. Now, I'm just old-fashioned enough as a Baptist to believe that scripture. And I think that it's wrong for women to speak in our public assemblies when we are gathered together as the church for worship. So I prefer that women would do exactly what this scripture says. And if I live by that, then I know that someday when I give an account to God for the way that I've pastored the church that this is an area that God will say, well, you did that right. But this is also, this is an area that Baptists have compromised because of the times. And I have to emphasize again, we are not against women. But this is not the proper role of the woman in the church. We are for the proper role of women in the church. And I would point out also that the women's movement to take authority in the church has caused a tremendous amount of problems. In the cults, Women have played a significant part in the charismatic movement. Women have played a significant part. Some of the scariest women that I've seen are on TV, and these are ones that speak in tongues. Uh, there was a, a church in Tampa that I used to watch, and I noticed it whenever I would drive from the airport to my apartment when I was working in Tampa. And this church had a woman co-pastor. And uh, that was in 2001, and that woman co-pastor was Paula White. Paula White is now one of Trump, President Trump's spiritual advisors. But she would get into uh, speaking in tongues, and I kid you not, that was the freakiest thing I've ever seen. And this, this woman had the look of the devil in her. And I, I truly do believe that's the closest I've ever come to actually seeing Lucifer. And that's Paula White uh, speaking in tongues. But there are many great things that women do in church. We can't get along without women in the church. And, I, and I'll tell you that, that I've seen it uh, in a very special way in these past few weeks with my wife being ill and, and then having ladies in the church that help us and, and ladies in the church that take care of the office work and do those things. That is a tremendous blessing. And the church just can't get along without the work that women do. But once again, we believe that the woman is to take her proper role, according to the scriptures, in the work of the church. 
So we're going to let uh, false doctrines and false teachings slip in by the side door if we don't keep an eye on it. Women taking the role of authority, such as pastoring churches, is not scriptural, and it leads to no good. Now, Paul also wrote about false teachers in another scripture, First Corinthians or Second Corinthians, rather, eleven thirteen. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. So, if you think that the devil comes in the side door dressed as the devil. Don't kid yourself. If we saw the devil come in that door over there, what would we do? Well, we'd gang up on him. We'd, we'd punch him. We'd kick him. We'd throw him out in the parking lot and run over him with every car here. And then we'd bar the doors and say, you can't get in at all. The devil knows that. So he doesn't come in dressed like the devil. He comes in dressed as an apostle of Christ. He comes in in a three-piece suit with a KJV 1611 under both arms. He looks good. Well, maybe today he wouldn't come in in a three-piece suit. Rather, he would, he would come in in a polo shirt and ripped jeans with tats. And he would say, hey, dudes, I'm your new worship leader. Um, but he's slick. The devil tries to appear just like you and me. So watch out for him. Watch out for that apostate teacher who comes in. Watch him. See how he lives his life. And that's how you find out if he's fundamental or just plain demental. Now, I'm not going to go into other instances where, where both Peter and John and others write about this, but you get the point. There are others that have sounded the same warning. They've written before about this. And that might be the meaning of before or of old ordained, but I don't think that's the meaning of it. The people who do such things, Jude says, are before ordained to this condemnation. So if we're going to try to understand what before ordained means here, we've also got to consider this word condemnation. That has to go with any explanation of before ordained. So I think what it means is that God knew beforehand what these false teachers would do, and so he has already set the punishment for those who do these things. He knew them. He knew their works. Condemnation means judgment. And that would mean, of course, that he would be primarily speaking here of those who are unsaved that teach false doctrine. Now, of course, sometimes God's people can be led away into doctrinal errors. But because they're the children of God, they're not going to be involved in the type of judgment that uh, Jude speaks of here. God will take care of them in other ways. And I know that God does that. They will give an account of the judgment seat of Christ. So if you're saved... You need to be very careful that you don't get mixed up in false doctrine, especially those that would lead people astray. But for the false teacher, this scripture is frightening, a very frightening prospect. False teachers are reserved for condemnation and a particular judgment. And I believe that the hottest part of hell, you might say, is reserved for those who lead unsuspecting people astray and away from the truth of the gospel. We need to understand that this is very serious business what we do here. We handle the word of life. We must speak the truth about the word of life. And I wouldn't want to be in the shoes, especially of a Mormon or a Jehovah's Witness when they stand before God. Those people win thousands of converts. In some ways, they're responsible for what I would call an aggravated rejection of the gospel. And they're going to give an account of what they've done. Their eternity is sealed. 
There's no escape from the fires of hell for those that are involved in false doctrine. So I believe that ordained to condemnation means there is an inescapable consequence for those who are involved in heretical teachings. Now notice the types of false doctrine that these people are involved in. Jude says, they have turned the grace of our God into lasciviousness. Lasciviousness means licentiousness. Aren't you glad I told you that? I know it helps you a lot. Well, what, what it means is no moral restraint. And, and narrowing that down just a little bit, it refers to no sexual restraint. And you'll forgive me, but I don't see much use in doing a verse-by-verse study of the Scripture unless we pick the Scriptures apart to see what they mean. So most of you have probably read this Scripture many times before, and you just kind of pass on by it without knowing what Jude is talking about here. What is he referring to? So that's what we're doing here. We're going to examine the scriptures to dig out what Jude means. So what is the background of a statement like this that he makes in Jude, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness? Well, he says that the false teachers have turned the grace of God into a license to practice sin. And again, particularly, a license to practice sexual sin. Now, if you'll turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 6, we're going to take just a minute to examine some scripture to see what Jude's talking about. And I remind you that all the scriptures fit together. If our doctrine isn't consistent all the way through, then we have wrong interpretations. So if you're in Romans 6, stay there for just a minute and back up into chapter 5 where Paul has just finished an argument about the grace of God And the ability of God's grace to conquer inherent sin. That is, the inherent sin that's in every person. And this inherent sin is a condition of our humanity. The grace of God overcomes all sin, including our inherent sin nature, so that righteousness reigns in the believer. Paul talks about how the law condemns. He also speaks of how grace overcomes And God gives a tremendous display of his grace in the life of every person when they become a believer. So the grace of God is on display. And he says where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. You find that in Romans 5, 21. And so then going into Romans chapter 6, Paul is talking about this marvelous display of God's grace. And this is what he says in chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin? That grace may abound. And the purpose of Paul's question is to immediately squelch the idea that we could accentuate God's grace by making more public displays of it. Now don't lose me on this. Let me explain that statement. How could you show more of God's grace? Well, evidently there were some who believed that you show his grace by sinning more and then having God to overrule that sin by forgiveness. That way you show how big God is and You show how great God's grace is, that it can overcome all of these sins. And that's the exact objection that people have when you talk about the eternal security of the believer. They say, if you are eternally saved and you can't lose your salvation, then you can sin all that you want, and then God will just give you the grace to overcome all of that sin. Paul anticipated that some would argue that way. So he says in verse number 2, God forbid... How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Now, people that make the objections miss the point 
that Christians don't stretch the grace of God because we're eternally saved. We live within that grace because grace has caused us, our salvation has caused us to be dead to sin. We've taken on Christ and we've taken on a new life so that we don't want any part of sin anymore. So we don't sin in grace. We avoid sin because of grace. So how does that apply to the book of Jude? Well, the false teachers that Jude speaks of told people that they could commit sin as much as they wanted because they were saved. And because they were saved, they couldn't lose their salvation. And so, if, if that's true, they could indulge in sexual sin. They could indulge in any wanton sin. And they would never suffer any consequences. In Jude's time, especially among Gentiles, there was a great deal of sexual, sexual perversion and people had been saved out of those practices. And now, here come these false teachers telling them, well, it's all right if you do that. It's okay if you sin. Now, that's the basis of what is called antinomianism. And it says that because we're saved, we can commit any sin without fearing eternal consequences. And it's saying that the law has no application to us because we're living under grace. So that's the gist of what Jude says about these false teachers that they had turned the grace of God into a license to sin. Now he goes on in the last part of the verse and he says, and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. This part of the verse is the real acid test to find out if someone is a false teacher. If you want to find out if a group is a cult, whether they've got true teachings or false teachings, here is a place that you can go. This is a very fundamental issue. What do they teach about the deity of Christ? And all the cults have this common denominator. They have some quirky belief about the deity of Christ. Some of them are very subtle. And they won't let you know up front that they don't have the orthodox view of Jesus Christ and the Trinity. Now a good example of that would be the Mormons. Originally, they titled their church, The Church of Jesus Christ of the Latter-day Saints. Recently... The Grand Poopaw in Salt Lake said, well, we're not going to use that name any longer. We're going to change the name. And so now they have dropped the last part, the Latter-day Saints, and now they're known just as the Church of Jesus Christ. Well, that title would have you to believe that they're Orthodox, that they think of Christ as the eternal Son of God, just as we do. That title would lead you to believe that they think that Jesus is the Savior, that he is co-eternal with God the Father, co-existent with God the Father. But what they really believe is that Jesus is no more God than you and me. And they believe that someday all good Mormons will become gods and they'll rule on their own planets. These are people that deny the Lord Jesus Christ. And I can tell you they are not Christians. You can't rank them among Christian denominations. They're dangerous. As far as I'm concerned, the, the church up here on Country Club Drive up the street, that's a little bit too close. Now, I, I know it's a free country, but I wish that they were practicing what they believe out in the desert somewhere instead of right here in Roner Park. And come to think of it, you know that's what happened at the very beginning? That Brigham Young led the Mormons to Salt Lake in Utah because he couldn't stay with people that had orthodox views of Jesus Christ. The people wouldn't stand for that. And so they're out, they were out in the desert. Now, of course, they've spread all across the West. So let's just camp on that for a minute. 
uh, before I finish this afternoon. If Baptists were what we ought to be, the Mormons would have never caught on. We would have already won all the converts. And the Mormons would be going head to head against us rather than us trying to stop them. Well, I haven't seen a Mormon yet that I'd be afraid to sit down with and tackle with the word of God. I'm not afraid of that. But herein lies the whole problem of, of why we need to be ready and why we must contend for the faith. It's because there are not enough of our Baptist people who know enough of the faith to defend it. And so some of them have gone over to the other side because they were duped by false teachers who crept in unawares. So we need to watch out for that. We must be ready to defend the faith. Well, I'm close on time here. I don't have time to do much more this afternoon and all that we've done here is just barely scratch the wiles of the devil on this issue of false prophets but we're going to see more of this as we go along as we study the word of God this will come up again and again and there'll be many more sermons where we're able to talk about this but I want you just to be aware tonight this is a clear and present danger among God's people so we need to be on guard about those who come in the side door be on guard so that creeps don't creep in and just sit down among us and spread their deadly poison. So I would encourage you tonight just to look to your right or left and see that person sitting next to you and say, Is that a creep? Is that somebody who just crept in? Let's all be aware and let's make sure we're not creeps. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. Thank you what we learned. Thank you for Jude who wrote these scriptures to give us fair warning of what we can expect from this world and from the devil who dresses himself up as a false apostle and comes in to deceive churches. Help our people uh, tonight, Lord, to be contenders, to know the faith, defend the faith, to learn the faith so that we can stand against these terrible attacks by devil who would, the devil who would destroy the gospel and the church. Bless our people tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Rohnert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www dot bbaptist dot org